0: This morning we continue our series on the letters to the churches in Revelation with the fifth church, that is the church of Sardis, the church at Sardis. I don't know about you, but I've really enjoyed hearing God's heart for our church as we've, as we've gone through this series, and not just for our church, but for me personally as well. Uh, I've found it at different times somewhat confronting, this series. Anybody else found it a little bit Confronting? This series of messages, I found it personally confronting around issues in my own life that I look at and it's like, oh, I never really thought about it like that. I, I, need, to, I need to look at that. And I don't think that's a bad thing. In fact, as I've uh, prepared this message around Sardis, it's, it's led me to believe that that's, that sense of being confronted by the Word of God is actually a great thing. It's a very good thing. The Word of God should confront us. Unless you are Jesus... Unless you are perfect, unless there is nothing in your life that, that could possibly be imperfect, then the Word of God acts like a mirror and actually shows us the areas in our life that we need to bring change to. Amen? And so, to be honest, I think it should confront us somewhat. That's not necessarily a bad thing. The letter to Sardis is a little bit unique. It's an interesting letter in that it's one of only two letters to the churches that has no commendation. Jesus gets up and he just starts going for it. This is no praise sandwich. Come on, you know the praise sandwich? Oh, you're such a good person, such a... But then you really should do this, but I really do love you and you're... No, no, no. It's just like, you know what? There's an issue here and we need to deal with this thing. Jesus just launches into it. He doesn't even have time for the praise sandwich. So this morning, as I was reading through the passage, I actually found... That despite that, despite the fact that it looks like there's nothing but bad news in this letter, that there's actually some really encouraging aspects to this passage, like really encouraging, so much so that as I was preparing, it brought joy to my soul. I felt a sense of, oh, I just feel a little bit better about that. And so this morning, I've entitled my message, Sardis Mostly Dead. I know, there's no way that that's going to make it to the YouTube title. But nonetheless, it's the title of my message, Sardis Mostly Dead. The Jewish community in Sardis was a significant community. It was a large community. It was a powerful community. And unlike the church in Smyrna that was suffering greatly, the Christians here in Sardis actually are still under the protection of the Jewish synagogue. So what that meant is that they could participate in the prosperity of the city. They didn't have, to, uh, have to, to worship the emperor. They had a pass, just like the Jews. And so because they had a pass, they could create wealth, they could build, they could, do, they could work, they could do all those things that meant that they could live a comfortable life and engage the prosperity of the city. Now, in some ways, when we contrast suffering Smyrna... With sleepy Sardis, we actually see the result of a Christian life that is devoid of suffering. A Christian life that is devoid of challenge. We see the result of a Christian life that is given over to nothing but comfort and convenience. That's what the the church in Sardis was, that's where they were at and this is what it teaches us. In stark contrast to the church in Smyrna, Sardis found themselves in quite an enviable position. See, while the church in Smyrna was put out of the synagogue by the Jews and as a result were poor and suffering, Sardis seemed to have a good relationship with the Jews and as a result was prospering greatly. It was a wealthy church. But whereas suffering had caused the Smyrnaean church to look poor when Jesus said it was actually rich... Well, see, this comfort, this this prosperity had caused the Sardisian church to look alive when Jesus says you're actually dead. It's a sharp contrast between the two. Or can I say, mostly dead. Mostly dead. The imagery used to communicate the state, you think about this, of the Sardisian church, it's not an angel that appears to them, it's Jesus standing amongst the lampstands. Jesus is standing there. The one who was once dead and is now alive is speaking to this church, telling Sardis they were once alive and are now dead. The imagery there, the contrast there would not have been lost on the church in Sardis. But beyond that, this contrast reminds us that God is the God of resurrection That though he was once dead, he is alive again. And because of that, God can bring to life that which is dead within us. That which has died within us, God can breathe life back into it. And see it come back to life. Interestingly, Sardis was a wealthy place. It literally had a river of gold running through it. Not a river of molten gold at a 1,000 degrees centigrade that if you touched it, you would instantly be incinerated. Not that kind of river of gold. A river of, like it was a river, and in the the, the, uh, sand bed of the river were gold nuggets. It was like Sovereign Hill. (laughs) Come on, how many of you went to Sovereign Hill as a kid? Come on, give me a wave if you went to Sovereign Hill. I've never been to Sovereign Hill. (laughs) But I did read about it. It's like the river where you could pan for gold. You could literally step into the river and just pick up some sand and like, oh, here's a gold nugget. There was a river of gold running through the city. In fact, it was in Sardis that gold and silver coins were first struck in the Roman Empire. That's how wealthy this place was. So Sardis was an affluent community. It was really, including the Christians... It was not unlike us today. They were rich, even as we are today. Now, I know some of you are looking at me like, oh, I'm not rich, what are you talking about? You might not feel rich. But I don't know if you realise that even if you're on unemployment benefits or if you're on the pension, you are still in the top 10% 10 of income earners for the whole world. Australia's a rich country. And in fact, if you earn over $48,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of income earners in the whole world. This is a rich country. And so even though you might not feel rich because you drove in next to somebody who's driving a McLaren, I get it, you don't feel relatively rich next to that guy, we are wealthy. Especially when you compare us to the rest of the world. And the warning we take from... The church in Sardis is that relying on our wealth, relying on our past achievements, relying on our investments, relying on our social standing, relying on our reputation. Even as Jesus said, you have a reputation for being alive. Relying on our reputation can lead us into a place of complacency And we can actually sleepwalk our way away from God, all the while living in a dream world where we actually think we are close to Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but that scares me. The fact that we can live in a place where we are sleepwalking away from God, yet think that we are close to him. And the scary thing is that it's our comfort that can take us there. It's our relative wealth that can take us into that place. We need to regularly check our our heart and check where does our trust lie. It's not wrong to have wealth. It's not wrong to be rich. There's nothing wrong with that. However, God does call us to steward it wisely. God does call us to be generous with it. Read through the rest of Scripture and and, uh, the apostles, the prophets... Jesus himself calls us to steward it wisely and not allow it to become our security. And to be honest, the more you have, the harder that is. The more you've got, the harder it is to do. Can I just take a a quick aside? Sometimes we talk about the culture. And in this case, we're talking about that, that comfortable culture affecting our Christianity. And sometimes when we talk about the culture and we have because of this series, over the last number of weeks, sometimes when we talk about the culture affecting our Christianity, we speak like it's the culture's fault. But it's actually not. It's a culture and it does what all cultures do. It perpetuates itself. It's our responsibility. Because Christianity has always been countercultural. Christianity has always... Been countercultural. In fact, the only times that Christianity has become the culture, it then turned into cultural Christianity, which had no power in it anymore, which had no life in it anymore, which had no reality in it anymore. The Christian culture is countercultural, and we should not complain about that. We should be thankful for it. And yet as confronting as this message is, I think in this particular passage, there's some really good news. But whether you see it or not, I think, depends a little bit on how you read the passage. Because the tone with which you read this passage will depend, to some degree, on your perception of Jesus. If you think Jesus is a judgmental mongrel who's just waiting to smash you over the head, you'll read the passage in that way. You'll read all of scripture in that way. But depending on your perception of his demeanour, his character, his intent, that's how you will read the passage. Now don't misunderstand, I have no doubt one day there will be a day of judgment. Jesus was very clear on that. The Bible is very clear on that. But Jesus was also clear that until that day, he didn't come to condemn, he came to save. There will be a day of judgment. There will be a day of reckoning. But until that day, he is trying to draw. The Bible says he is not slow with you, as some would count slowness, but he is patient towards you. Why? So that many would be saved. That's his desire. From what I know of Jesus, from the way I saw him treat a woman caught in adultery, from the way I saw God treat Nineveh, a city that was godless, when Jonah wanted it destroyed, and God said to him, go and preach to it. I'm not just going to destroy it. There's a hundred thousand people in there. They could come back, they could repent, go and preach. Jonah didn't want to. The way I see God's heart towards that people, the way I understand Jesus relates to His people, from that, I read this passage not as a judgment but as an entreaty, but it's actually as actually as God trying to draw them back into relationship. If you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Revelations chapter three verses 1 to 6. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. This is how I read the passage. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. I know all the things you do, that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly, as unexpected as a thief. Yet there are some in the church in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce them before my Father and his angels that they are mine. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Now, you could read it differently. Wake up! Repent! You could read it like that. That's not my understanding of who Jesus is. Don't get me wrong, it's still a rebuke. Or this is still a warning. But Jesus isn't gunning after his people as much as he's entreating them. He's saying, come on, let me show you what's going on here. Come on, you can pull this thing back. It doesn't have to be this way. And that leads us to the good news in this passage. Because as much as this letter is a warning against complacency, Jesus also has a solution. I love that. I love that he comes with a solution, not just the problem. I know what the problem is. I've got the problem. Give me a solution. Here's where we find the solution to complacency towards God in our life. If you feel like your Christian life is turning maybe just a little bit cold, a little bit complacent, maybe you feel like you're losing that hunger, that edge for God that you once had. You feel like things have just kind of settled a little. This is Jesus' solution. Wake up. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. Strengthen it. That's his solution. Listen, there's something left. Strengthen it. Can I say to you, if you're here this morning, if you're in this place, or maybe you're watching online, or maybe you're listening to the podcast, if you are here, if you're in earshot of this message, the good news is, regardless of how far you think you've gone... There's still something in you that remains. There's still something there. There are at least some dying embers of life that can be breathed upon and nurtured back into flame. If there wasn't, you wouldn't be in the room this morning. If there wasn't, you wouldn't have tuned in today. If there wasn't, you wouldn't have hit play on that podcast. You'd be on your own merry little way, sleepwalking away from God because there was nothing left. Though you might think that light has died on the inside, I'm here to tell you it's not dead, it's mostly dead. (laughs) It's not dead, it's only mostly dead. Some of you would catch the reference to The Princess Bride, that great movie classic. And in that particular scene, where Miracle Max stands over the body, the seemingly lifeless body, we might have a clip of it, the seemingly lifeless body of Wesley, and has he's asked by Inigo Montoya, you killed my father, prepare to die. As he's asked by Inigo Montoya about, about the state of Wesley. Miracle Max says, oh, look who knows so much about everything. He's not, he's not dead. He's mostly dead. And mostly dead is slightly alive. <laughs> if you have not seen this movie, you need to go out and see it this afternoon. I'm telling you right now. It's on Netflix or wherever. Just honestly, it's a classic. Mostly dead is slightly alive. God is saying to those of us living in complacency or maybe living in that place, we're not quite as hungry as we used to be. That light inside you is still slightly alive. Come on, strengthen what remains. That's what he said. There's something that remains. Strengthen what remains. It's not over till you're all dead and right now you're only mostly dead until that point you can always come back to God you can always return to him if you're in this place this morning or maybe you're watching online and you're thinking to yourself yeah I hear what you're saying but Alex I'm too far gone you don't understand I walked away from God a long time ago you don't understand the stuff that I've been into when I've, while I've been away from God. You don't understand the state of my heart. I'm too far gone. I want to tell you today that God is saying, wake up. You're still slightly alive. You are still slightly alive. Begin to strengthen that which is inside. That's God's solution. Let me tell you the good news of this letter to Sardis the thing that that buoyed my spirit, the thing that that encouraged me, what, what this letter is saying, there's still hope. There's still hope. It doesn't matter how far gone you think you are. It doesn't matter how far gone you think your friend is. There is still hope. And then beyond that, as if that weren't enough, that we could walk away with a sense of hope, Jesus goes further to actually explain to us How we can strengthen what remains. He goes on to explain the three things we need to do in order to bring those embers back to life. If you feel like you've lost your edge with God, or maybe you feel like you're as dull as a block of wood, maybe you just feel like I've kind of lost that hunger a little bit, just a little. Jesus gives us the solution in verse 3. In verse 3, I'm going to read it from the NIV. He says this, Remember, therefore... After talking to them about all that situation, how they're just, you know, mostly dead. He says, Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. Repent. Jesus gives us a threefold formula to reviving our hearts. Three simple principles. Remember, return, repent. That's it. Remember, return, repent. Let me touch on them. The first one, remember. To remember means to change your perspective. It means to shift your perspective. Jesus said... Remember what you have received and heard. If you want to relight the fire in your spirit, if you want to just burn, cause that hunger to burn afresh, it starts by remembering who God has been in your life. That's how it starts. You've got to shift your perspective on who God is. If you find yourself in a position where you've lost that hunger for God or maybe you're in a place of conflict or a place of suffering and because of that, you've distanced yourself from God. You've found yourself just getting a little bit distant. Maybe it's caused confusion in your mind or uncertainty in your soul. Jesus said, remember. Remember, bring to recollection. Bring to mind who you know God to be. It's interesting that Jesus didn't just say, Remember what you have heard or were taught. That's not what he said. He said, Remember what you have received and heard. Now, that heard and taught thing, that's obviously a part of it, second half of that scripture. But in this scripture, he uses a very specific Greek word, lambano, which means to receive or to take. Remember what you were taught and you received. Remember what you were taught and you took. Remember what you were taught and you experienced. It's not just about what you've heard, it's not just about what you were taught, it's about what you've experienced of who God is. Bring back to mind who it is God has been in your life. Come on, recollect that stuff. That time he was your healer, that time he was your provider. That time when you felt like you couldn't go on and yet you're here. He carried you through that time that you couldn't do it. That time that he was the lover of your soul. That time he was the giver of vision. That time he was the lifter of your head. That time he was your encourager. When he was your counselor. Remember who he has been. That time he was the giver of life. Remember, bring back to your recollection... Who God is. In other words, change your perspective that has gotten clouded by the world, or clouded by your own failures, or clouded by other people, or clouded by hurts, or clouded by the culture. Come on, come on, change it that's been clouded by convenience, that's been clouded by comfort, that's been clouded by an easier life, that's been clouded by a difficult life. Remember, get back to seeing God for who he is in your life, not just for who other people think he is. This is the first thing we need to do, change your perspective to start becoming thankful for God's blessing on your life, thankful for his protection over you, thankful for his care for you, his love for you if you want your heart to begin to grow warm towards God again, if you want that hunger alive again, change your perspective on God and remember his goodness. Everybody say, remember. Remember. The second thing Jesus says is to hold it fast. That means to return to it. To return is to change your behaviour. If remembering is changing your perspective, returning is changing your behaviour. It's one thing to change your perspective. It's valuable, it's great. But Jesus tells us we need to do something with that change in perspective now. Those things we've experienced, those things we've been taught about God's goodness, Jesus tells us now hold to it firmly. Make a choice to do the right things. Not if you feel like it. Make a choice to do the right things. I remember Jesus placed me in a family. I became a child of God. I remember when I got saved, I became part of the church family. I remember how much my life changed. I remember how much I learned and I grew and and how much I was taught just by being with other Christians, just by being in church, just by connecting with people. I remember experiencing his goodness through others. And so when I feel like my edge is starting to get a bit dull, I return by taking every opportunity to build friendships with other Christians. That's how I return. I return. I get around the people of God. I make sure I find myself in church every week. I connect with people who I know will build me up just by being in their presence. I return to it. I remember that night I gave my life to Jesus. When I I came to a revelation, I was 13 years old trying to be a good boy because I knew I wanted to please God somehow, trying to do the right things and be the right things and say the right things. And on this night, I came to a revelation that that's not what God wanted, that what Jesus actually wanted was a relationship with me. He wanted to connect with me. It wasn't about what I did. It wasn't about how I behaved. It was about me being in relationship with him. I remember that. I bring it back to my recollection. I remember that feeling of You want to be in a relationship with me? Me! You're the God of the universe. Why would you want to do that? Do you have nothing better to do? And of course, the answer to that question is no, he doesn't. That's what he wants to do. There is nothing better that he could do. He wants relationship with you, he wants connection with you, he wants intimacy with you. That's what he wants, that's what he desires. So my response when my heart starts to grow cold is I return to it by engaging God in prayer, in his word, in worship, by making time to be intimate with him, by making time just to go out and be by myself with Jesus, reconnecting in relationship. If you want to get back that hunger for God, if you want to grow warm towards him again, if you want to come back to life on the inside, change your behavior towards God begin to do those things you did at first when god captured your heart we need to remember that is to change our perspective more than that we need to return that is to change our behavior but lastly jesus says we need to repent and that's about changing your mind that's about changing your thinking Jesus says, repent and turn to me again. How is this different to the last one? Because the returning to those things of your first love is an action. It's what you do. You do something different. But repentance starts in your head. The word repent is the Greek word metanaus. You might have heard someone say, that guy's got a lot of naus. It's an expression. It comes from the Greek. The word nous means mind. Wow, that guy's a smart guy. The word metanoia means a changing of the mind. That's what it literally means—a changing of the mind. When we change our mind, we do a one hundred and eighty-degree turn. It's what locks in our behaviour. It locks it in. Romans twelve tells us, "Do not be conformed to this world." Well, that's relevant. But be transformed, or how do I do that? By the renewing of your mind. It didn't say be transformed by better behaviour. doesn't say that. It doesn't say be transformed by doing the right things. doesn't say that. It says we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. See, if all you do is change your behaviour, but you don't change your mind, you'll never stick with it. You'll never stick with it. In fact, what'll happen is, You'll feel like a hypocrite. You'll feel like a phony, a fake, that you're being disingenuous because you're doing this one thing, but on the inside you feel something completely different. You are just going through the motions. Anybody ever done that? Don't put your hand up. Just going through the motions. Now, judging by this passage, you know, potentially that's where the Sardisian church was at. You have a reputation of being alive. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Oh, let me tell you, Sardisian Church, you got all the lights happening. They're awesome. Your worships, oh, everybody puts their hands up in worship. Let me tell you, Sardisian Church, man, you've got the eloquent preacher. Oh, let me tell you, you've got got money to do things for the poor. They were obviously doing stuff because they had a reputation of being alive. They were obviously doing stuff. On the outside, when you looked at them, they looked alive. But inside, there was nothing. They were just going through the motions. It's repentance. It's metanous. That's what aligns the outside with the inside. That changing of our mind. That's what creates life inside behind the actions people see on the outside. church, if your heart has grown cold towards God, or maybe you've noticed that hunger in your life has just lost its edge. Maybe you feel like your faith is pretty much dead inside. My encouragement to you today, it's not not dead. It's only mostly dead. And if it's mostly dead, it's slightly alive and God can breathe life back into it. He can breathe life back into it. He even tells us what our part to play is in that process. What's our part to play? We remember, that is to change our perspective. We return, that is to change our behaviour. And we repent, that is to change our mind, change our thinking. And as we do that, Jesus promises us that you will be an overcomer. I don't have time to go into all of the rewards of that. But let me tell you what they are. He says you will walk with Jesus. That means you'll have eternal relationship with God. Eternal friendship with God. He says you will walk in white. That means you'll have eternal purity before God. And he says you will never have your name erased from the book of life. That is you'll have eternal security in God. That as we come back into that place of remember, return, repent, we become overcomers and we walk into that place of eternal friendship, purity, and security. That's what God wants to give us. The message to the church in Sardis is you live in a culture and you've become like it. And because of that, you're complacent. Wake up. Wake up. There's hope I can breathe life again back into it.